Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. As a world champion gymnast and a former foster kid, I've faced my fair share of complexity, and I've learned that the concept of controlling complexity is about more than just overcoming our own hardships. It's about helping others overcome theirs too. After all, in the face of enormous complexity, the best not only find a way to adapt to the challenge, they also find a way to give back. From now until the end of the year, Axonius will make a donation to Friends of the Children for every demo completed. For more details and to sign up, go to axonius.com slash friends. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash friends. This season is all about the color purple. We'll be bridging the gap between red and blue teams and combining their strengths to form purple teams. Join me as I meet with some of the very best purple teamers out there who are changing the way we do security on a daily basis. We're going to go ahead and explore their journeys, talk about their time from red and or blue teams, some of the challenges they faced, as well as some of the successes and benefits from coming together and forming one team to defend against cyber threats from all over the world. So let's go. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I am your host, Mm -hmm. Davin Jackson. Welcome. If you guys aren't familiar, Hacker Valley Blue is all about talking about the blue team side. But this season, we're doing it a little different. This season, we're going to color purple, and I'm not talking about the movie with Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously. Damn, where was that Oprah? We're going to go back. Was Whoopi? It was both. It was both. See? Yeah, there we go. I'm second guessing myself, man. Look. (laughs) Anyway, uh, it's been a while, but anyway, <laughs> I can't remember the last time I seen that movie. This man. season is about the color purple, so we're going to talk about bringing the red and blue team together to have that purple team vibe and have that collaboration. And when I decided I was going to come up with it, I had to find another guest who not only works in that field or does stuff with the collaboration, but he's also important because. He also works on things that we got to deal with for the future and training our future professionals. So, ladies and gentlemen, everybody watching, please welcome my guest, Eric Thomas. Eric, how you doing? What up, what up? Man, I'm good. Feeling really, really great. I can move my fingers now, so. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's right. You did just have surgery currently. So, again, thank you for doing this, and I'm glad that you are feeling better. Appreciate it. I appreciate you for rescheduling, man. I was like, dang, I let my boy down. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nah, never, man. Never. Like I said, the health is more important than anything. That's a priority, especially on your hand when that's pretty much how we make our money, our, our hands it's and our minds. It's the breadwinner, man. Is, is what gets us paid. So but for those who aren't familiar, why don't you go ahead and let the people know who you are with a brief introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Eric Thomas, I'm a detection engineer uh, for AC Supply. Like DJX mentioned, I'm a blue teamer, true blue all day. Love cybersecurity. Been doing it for 18 years, the 28th of last month makes 18 years that I've been, well, that I've been in tech. It hadn't all been completely cybersecurity. So you could probably find me at the E is for Extra on Twitter. 
follow at your own risk. <laughs> a good majority of it is InfoSec and technology. The rest of it, you'll have to see when you get there. But yeah, man, glad to be here. Glad I got a chance to connect with you through social media and all of our networks and glad we finally got to do this. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, well, congratulations on 18 years in tech, but that actually is going to bring me right into my question. So what is your origin story? How did you get started in tech? And then I guess we get right into the transition to security. Yeah. So I used to say that I had a traditional start. Uh, I don't know that it's traditional anymore. And uh, you and I, and we've had side conversations about that. So uh, I started at this really small, well, Actually, the interest of it started back in like 2004. I was still in high school and I was computer lab assistant at the public library. Nobody even had tech titles then, system administrator, analyst, none of that stuff even existed. I was a computer lab assistant. And basically, I showed people how to print, right? That was pretty much my thing. Had a great sysadmin there who taught me a lot about just how Windows works, fundamentals. My first operating system was Windows XP. From there, ended up going to college and I needed money for the types of things that college kids need money for. And computers were a skill I had. So I got a little job at Spots Computers. Shout out to Spots Computers in Jackson, Tennessee. Mr. Spots is still around. I think he's retired now, but he's still around. Yeah. And I started working in that retail space. From there, transitioned to a help desk, stayed on the help desk for a while, really got into networking. While I was the supervisor of the help desk, really got into networking, got my CCNA, got my network plus, became a network analyst, network admin, network engineer. And this is where things get interesting. So that was a big gap. So by now it's 2015, 2015, 2016. So that's 2004. That's the first 10 years. While I'm working as a network engineer, I got a project. We were migrating from Dell SonicWall to Cisco ASAs. And we had gotten this big discount because that was when Cisco used to give pretty significant discounts for CCNAs on their products, or at least the software. And so <laughs> I had to make this transition and I really got into firewalls, believe it or not. I know some security guys out there are like, firewall, I, I really got into firewalls. And that was sort of my gateway into security. And so I started with firewalls and some of your basic stuff, ACLs and segmentation for security purposes, not necessarily for quality of service purposes, which is what how we kind of thought about in the networking world. So yeah, I got into it that way. And then from there, just started applying for security jobs. The networking background definitely helped. I uh, got my first job as an analyst and that was my official transition into InfoSec. And I love it. I'm never leaving the sock. <laughs> I stay as close to it as I can. At some point, I'll probably have to take my hands off the keyboard and manage a sock team. But for now, I love leading my guys. Uh, we call ourselves the Death Squad. Shout out to the Death Squad if they're watching. But yeah, I love it, man. And that was basically my start. That's interesting because I think my introduction to security was similar but it was still with Cisco. So like you said, we had a CCNA on staff and Cisco did give discounts if you had someone who was a CCNA. And when they were doing that, they also sweetened the deal by giving us access to Cisco Meraki right before it came mm. out. Cisco Meraki was their mobile device manager, which we needed mm. because we were using it to track all of the iPads in the special education department for the school system I was working in. That was actually my introduction, one of the introductions into security because I had to set everything up on the MDM. I had to deal with the patches and pushing out the applications and updates and everything like that. And then I moved into sysadmin work whilst still doing stuff with the MDM. 
So that's where I came across with, you know, password policies and yep. doing group policies, security group policies and stuff like that. So group policy uh, is an unsung hero. of I feel like that's a lot of people's first real experience with like controls, like mitigating controls and stuff like that. Right. Sorry, I mean, cut you off, but no, no, you're people, good. You're we, good. we don't talk about GPOs enough, man. <laughs> yes. No, seriously. But yeah, that, that was my introduction dealing with that. And then that led me down a rabbit hole because we started having issues like ransomware attacks and DDoS and servers getting hit and stuff. And then that led me into doing vulnerability assessments to figure out yeah. why that happened. And then I jumped into penetration testing, I guess, naturally after that. Nice, but yeah, nice. like I said, yeah, but thank you for sharing your experience. And like I said, I mean, yeah, I guess you would say it's a traditional in the sense that you started out, you went to college and, and all of that, and then got some work in the industry. So now, was it a natural progression when you decided during that time gap, that first 12 years or so from 2004 to 2015, 2016, mm. was that a natural transition into security or was there a moment that you just said, you know what, this is interesting and I feel like this is where I want to be. I know you said you, you work with the Cisco stuff and the firewalls, but did you have an interest in security at first and then led to that progression? No, I think honestly, everything else leading up to that point was sort of just kind of moving through feeder roles, like help desk fed to network engineering and all that stuff. Security was uh, probably the first thing in my professional life where I was just genuinely interested in it. At the time, government contractors and Fortune 500s were the only people with security teams. Everybody else just did security with their network engineers and their systems engineers. Those people were in charge of security. I didn't necessarily even know it was a job when I first became interested, but I started listening to podcasts, Security Now, OG Podcast, Paul Security Weekly, OG Podcast, the early Black Hill stuff that they were putting out. I became a fan, if you will, an enthusiast. I'll use an enthusiast. I became an InfoSec enthusiast way before I became a professional. The professional part of it came a little bit later on. One, when I started seeing the salaries <laughs> and like, you know, if we just gonna keep it a hundred when I started seeing the salaries and also a lot of blue teamers will be able to identify this, but I was ready to get into the hunt. I saw things that were going on. This was before ransomware as a service. This was back when we were dealing with Sam Sam and, and those early ransomware variants where it was like, man, I want to catch those guys. I want to stop something like that. So yeah, I was an enthusiast before. So I would say it was probably the first job I was passionate about doing before I had it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if it was natural, but it was definitely a, a passion project that turned into a great career. No, but those, I mean, those are the best ones because those are the ones that you really want to invest in. For me, when I started doing pen testing, it was really, I wanted to know everything about it. Right. I wanted to know everything about it to the point where not only did I want to know how to be the best pen tester, I then went and actually took a forensics course because that was actually something I really wanted to do as well. I actually wanted to do both. But when I was living in. Ooh, that's a bad combo. That's a yeah. bad combo, man. The defer yeah. with the red team. That's a bad combo. Yeah. But when I living in the Northeast, you have to be in law enforcement to work in computer forensics. So you had to be law enforcement or work for the feds. And my days of doing any type of boot camp or training had far past me. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. So, so it was like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not jumping back into that mix. But I still feel like it was beneficial because iron sharpened iron, mm -hmm. where the DFIR stuff taught me what to look for when being an attack. 
So as an attacker, I'm now thinking, okay, I need to avoid anything that will cause any type of logging or whatever. So if they try to do any forensics, it would be here. And so I'm basically playing mental chess with myself when I'm doing pen tests because I go, I'm like, okay, if they have somebody on on the staff who would look at this stuff, this is where they would look. All right, cool. I need to make sure I do this and do that and do this and try to find different yeah. ways to avoid it. I mean, I think that's an early predecessor to the way you're working internally is yeah. how teams should work. Right. 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 Is I, how I'll, teams should work. Okay. I'll, I'll let you get into it, but because I know <laughs> we're going to get into the purple stuff. Uh, no, I was, but, I, was, you know, I, was, I was jumping ahead, but that's no, how teams should work. Yeah. Now I, I was going to say that. I was going to say, I guess that would probably be the first idea of having that collaborative purple team before I even knew the term purple team, because I just felt like it would be so beneficial to have something of both, whether it was just one person or if it was one team. And now my follow-up question is with that to you is because you currently work, you say you're at the SOC, but you do detection and response. Mm -hmm. But you said something that was real interesting when we were offline. So I'll let you get into what your day-to-day is like as a detection and response engineer first. Yeah, absolutely. So generally speaking, my day to day, I just posted a thread about it of kind of it was focused on building a lab. But I mean, my day is very similar to that in that I do a lot of attacking. I do a lot of attacking so that I can then look for the signal for the artifacts or for whatever I need to find to build those detections. So generally speaking, I'll just go on a random day. My random day. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pick something I want to detect. So what is it that I want to try to look for? What is it I want to try to find? And I could do that based on information I get from our red team or from our pen testers or threat intel or the MITRE attack framework, something like that. But I'm going to look for something to detect. And then once I find that thing that I want to detect, my next move is normally trying to replicate the attack, trying to do the attack or copy it in some way. So that then I can look for those signals. And sometimes that involves, man, spending a few days with like learning a red team tool. You and I were talking, one of my favorite tools to use is Atomic Red Team and Caldera. Like those are two of my favorite tools to use. One, because they make it a little bit easier for people like me who don't necessarily have that red team background. But I use those tools frequently. And so once I figure out what I want to detect and I find a way to map out these detections, or I get my red team buddies to help and say, hey, I need to be able to detect this. Can you replicate this? Can you emulate this adversarial behavior so that I can look for signal, right? And so they'll help. And then once we get that, now I have artifacts, now I have logs, now I have things I can play with. And there's a bunch of stuff in between, right? Statistical analysis, capability abstraction, which I talked about a little bit of just kind of like, okay, I see that you use Mimi Cats there. I don't really want to detect Mimi Cats. I want to detect those underlying LSAS functions that just happened. Without getting too technical, I want to detect those things, right? So making that decision is kind of where you get into the realm of detection engineering, of knowing what you need to be looking for and what signal to look for. So then we build those detections. I like to work with Sigma rules. It's kind of old school, but I like to work with Sigma rules and then convert them. One of the reasons I work with Sigma rules is because Sigma rules are can be used across scene platforms, across EDR platforms, across different detection platforms. And if I'm being honest, I like to use it because whenever it's time for me to move on from the company where I am, it's likely going to be a skill set that I can take with me versus just learning Splunk and not right. being able to do KQL or VQL or any of these other QLs uh, that everybody uses now. So uh, right, that's right. pretty much my day. That's the process of building those detections. 
Now, it's interesting because the reason why I led into with the question saying that you said something interesting is because you talk about working with offensive tools and Mm -hmm. collaborating with the red team and getting that information, figuring out how to craft an exploit to be able to create a detection for it. But what you just described is essentially purple teaming in this sense, right? And it's interesting because, you know, you said blue teaming. But I think that's actually one of the issues is that a lot of companies still don't, what's the word I'm looking for, embrace that idea or that concept of the collaboration of a purple team. They still try to keep that red team silo, Mm -hmm. blue team silo. But what you're doing is actually that collaboration because a lot of red teamers typically don't want the blue team using their tools. So you talked about Caldera and Atomic Red Team and then stuff like that. And for good reason, right? You got to have some sort of OPSEC, right? I mean, right. But at the same time, if you're also on one team, the name of the game is to basically have the best of both worlds to defend against everybody Very else. true. So now how did that come to change that from, I don't know if you were at this company long enough or if that was something that you started as far as that collaboration, and if you could talk about the benefits of having that collaboration like a purple team and some of the benefits from it. Absolutely. So it, it, I don't want to say it was something that I started. It was definitely an initiative that I led. It came out of me wanting to improve my SOC team. I wanted my SOC team to be better. I wanted my SOC team to have the best telemetry, to have the best data to work with so that they could make the most informed decisions and their critical thinking so they could focus on making the decision and not deciphering the data. So that's where it came from, right? It came from having an EDR product that wasn't meeting our needs or somebody coming in and saying, hey, we're just going to plug Splunk ES in and let it do its thing. And it's like, well, no, that doesn't work. You got to tune this stuff, this stuff. And so it came from me wanting to have a better SOC. Right. It came from me wanting my guys to be able to address the needs of the SecOp team a lot better. So from there, I had to find some initiatives that I could take on. And that's when we founded the Dev Squad. Dev stands for Detection Engineering and Threat Hunting. That's when we I founded that team. And that team's job was to the first part of that was to merge the threat hunting capabilities of the SOC and the detection engineering capability where we basically feed them as customers. We build our detections for them. Those are our customers. And so it came from first, we want you all to threat hunt, but then we want you to give us input back, right? Don't just work these alerts and, you know, talk amongst yourself and say, oh, we're just going to close these out because we know they're false positives. No, talk to us so we can make that alert better. Talk to us so that we can apply some better logic, some better control around this alert. So it came from that. And naturally that stuff started to happen and we overshot, (laughs) we overshot. We tried to build alerts that were too precise, right? And so false positives went away, but we just started missing crap. Like we just started missing stuff and it was like, okay, well, these are too precise because, you know, false negatives are terrifying because they fail silently. You don't know about them, right? So he couldn't do that. And then we went too broad, right? We went right back the other way. Whereas it's like now we're just generating a bunch of false positives. And so my idea was if we're trying to detect adversarial behavior, we have a resource internally who are experts at adversarial behavior. Mm -hmm. Why try to figure this out ourselves? Right. Right. So I go to our AppSec team and I say, hey, I know you guys don't really do this, but you're pen testers 
and I need to build better detections and we all got to work here. So, so it started off as a very informal thing. It started off very much like on teams, like, Hey man, I'm working on this. Can you take a look at this? And, you know, Lexmi, our lead app tester, her coming back saying, Hey, no, you probably shouldn't look for this because most people are going to use this or most adversaries are going to use this tool or those ports that you use in are arbitrary. Anybody can change that on a cobalt strike beacon or a metasploit beacon. Telling me things that I wouldn't know as a blue teamer, helping us move up the pyramid of pain. So it started off very informally like that. And it was successful. The detections got better. The response times got better. All of the actual metrics that we were measuring got better. And of course, CISO comes a knocking like, hey, what are we doing right? Because whatever we're doing, we need to measure it so that we can really build on it and that we can operationalize it and make it a part of what we do. And so, yeah, we started talking to him and he was like, okay, more of this, more of this happening. Then that's what I was saying earlier. It's hard because we don't quote unquote have a purple team, but we operate very much in that capacity. I was going to say, no, I think you do. And I think you need to change the name to purple team, Thomas, (laughs) because um, that's exactly what you just created. That's the Um, new name, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Having that collaboration, which was that aha moment or for Mm -hmm. this season, I call it the moment that purple clicked for you. So it was like that purple light bulb clicked. And for you, you, like you said, you were overshooting certain things. You were, it went from- We weren't doing it right. We were, I mean, we were getting it wrong. We were messing up bad because we didn't have that input, right? We were a bunch of blue teamers trying to figure out what red teamers already knew. Right. And like I said, you have them right there. And I think that speaks to, again, having that original siloed mentality. Like you Mm -hmm. literally have a valuable resource, whether it's right next to you or in the same building or just a Slack message or a Microsoft Teams message away. But you have to get to that point and it has to be encouraged. But you were talking about some of the challenges that you were facing, and I think that would lead right into our sponsor. But before I jumped into the sponsor question, I think it's important to highlight the fact that you were able to make those determinations and say we were doing it wrong, right? To say they're closing out stuff before we can close it or not even know about it. And that's why this season is sponsored by PlexTrack. This podcast is sponsored by PlexTrack, the proactive cybersecurity reporting and collaboration platform, bringing red and blue teams together for better collaboration and communication. PlexTrack empowers teams to communicate findings between red and blue teams electronically for rapid remediation, centralize remediation efforts, and automate ticket generation for faster, more efficient workflows, facilitate tabletop exercises, purple teaming engagements, breach and attack simulations, and more. A better security posture begins and ends with PlexTrack. Claim your free month of PlexTrack and get a copy of our blue team content bundle at PlexTrack.com slash Hacker Valley. Again, that's PlexTrack.com slash Hacker Valley. So, Eric, like we were talking about having those challenges that you had with closing out certain things or not knowing what other teams are doing, having a collaboration tool like PlexTrack, would that be beneficial in those moments where you need to kind of know where everybody is doing and what everybody is up to in order to make the best informed decision on what you're working on? Absolutely. So when I think of PlexTrack, the first thing I think of is speed and scale. If we have our red team engaging and they're finding vulnerabilities and they're finding things and holes that could potentially be exploited, if they can get that to the detection engineering team and the threat hunting team like that, 
right? If we have that central source to go in and we can read those reports and we get different views of, of what we need and we can look at the same indicators, same everything, we're speaking the same language, right? That gives us so much speed and scale to get detections in the SOC where they need to be, right? Because those results, the results that red teamers present, what's the worst thing that can happen if you're a red teamer? You go on a pen test, you work your butt off, you produce this result, report, and nobody does anything with it. You come back next year for the annual pen test and they got the same stuff, you know, the same holes. Well, for me, when I think of something like PlexTrack, right, I think of how we could manage that project, that scale, right? Because a lot of times, unfortunately, when teams are segmented, Red Team does their thing. They get the report. It's never a convenient time for us to get a report that says drop everything and fix this, right? right? As Blue Team, it's never a convenient time for somebody to come to me. As the detection engineer, I manage our EDR. It's never a good time for somebody to come to me and say, hey, these are all the holes you got to fix with your EDR. There's never a good time for that. There's never a good time for that. But if we are all working on sort of a, a workflow and a project board that allows us to share that space, yeah. then now I don't have to manage your entire report. I have to manage the work of your entire report. You get me what you found Monday. I can work on that Monday and I'm done with it by Wednesday. And then, you know what I mean? We're working together. So I think tools like PlexTrack is great for collaboration. And I think the more tools like that end up in the market, the better all of our security teams become. No, I definitely agree. And I like the fact that it allows you to prioritize, right? Because I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that happens when speaking from the offensive side, when we submit that report, the other teams, whether it's the client or the blue team or security team or developers, if you're on an AppSec team and you have to work directly with developers, the first thing they do is they're like, okay, it says there's 12, 15, 20 findings. There's no way we can do this in a sprint. I think having tools like PlexTrack will allow them to go, okay, well, we don't have to worry about all of these, but maybe let's fix this. Let's update this patch here. Let's patch this. Let's work on this. This is a major vulnerability. Let's work on that. And then you can incorporate that into your projects or your sprints if you're a mm-hmm. development team to make sure that that gets done because you know typically you're supposed to have like 10% of your sprint is supposed to be dedicated to security fixes. So I think right. having that there and then also having that single solution where everybody can see because the other thing is sometimes they'll fix it but they won't relay it back to the offensive team to go and do the remediation testing so now so now the offensive security team might be hanging around going well i sent it to them two weeks ago but yep yep and that (laughs) that brings it that goes back to that like combative type thing you talked about so yeah i absolutely agree with you so yeah plex track man that's great and uh, i love that there's such a push for more collaboration and more purple team. I love that the wall between red and blue is kind of breaking down because it's making us better. It's making us better, man. One, I don't know what I would do without having friends like you who are on the red team where I can literally go and say, hey, I'm seeing this. Is this a pattern I should be worried about? You know, sometimes it's just that easy, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Or, and, and, like, and I've I, never heard of this tool. What is Rubius? I've heard of Rubius, everyone. Yeah. I just, just want to throw that out there. Hey, but it's a legitimate thing. Like, I mean, I remember like a couple months ago, I wanted to go back and like relearn Suricata. And mm-hmm. I had issues trying to create the stuff in Suricata. And I posted it and you commented. A couple other people commented. Marcus Bowie, who was a guest last season, you know. The so Rev. Had, the and, Rev. Having that collaboration is important because, again, iron sharpens iron. 
having to know how to do both goes back to my previous story with the forensics and the pen tester. You can create the exploit and you can even then come up with the remediation process right there, or you can create the module that is needed. It's all about helping one another. So, Because we're all trying to do the same thing. I mean, those of us who are on the good side, right? At the end of the day, we're all trying to do the same thing. And I'll touch on this when we get into what I've been working on in the instructional space. But that's one of the things that I come up against sometimes, right, is I think that a lot of people come into the field not understanding that we're all trying to do the same thing. And I think we see that a lot with the red team, right? Everybody wants to be red team. Everybody wants to be hackers. But at the end of the day, we have to remember, like, the goal is to fix a thing, right? right? The goal is to fix a thing and defend, right? And so that's one of the ways uh, this relationship, the relationship that they see us have online, right? With me and you, me and Tyrone, me and Tanisha, DZ and and you and the Rev and Jay, like those relationships where we're all kind of doing different things, right? Mm. And kind of seeing that open dialogue, I think helps. I think it helps create that culture of collaboration And, and also things like attack and defend competitions. I'm so glad that those are becoming a thing. I did a mayhem with a red team buddy of mine. We got creamed. But we went up against these two guys that were just, I mean, they were unstoppable from go. But anyway, things like that, where we're transitioning from your traditional, oh, red teamers have their capture the flag over here and blue teamers have their capture the flag over here. It's like, no, let's get a red teamer and a blue teamer on the same team and let them do a red versus blue against another team. Your team gets two servers. My team gets two servers. We got two hours. We're playing King of the Hill style. And let's just have fun and learn and learn from each other. No, absolutely. Um, And we're definitely going to touch on that with the mentality thing in a second. But again, just real quick, thank you to Plex Track for sponsoring this episode and this season of Hacker Valley Blue. And for those who just missed it again, it is plextrack.com slash Hacker Valley to get your blue team content bundle. So, Eric, switching gears, another thing that you do that I think is really cool is that you also work with IoT devices and you test with the IoT devices. For those who aren't familiar with that, why don't you go ahead and just give a brief description of what the IoT devices are and what type of testing you do with them? Yeah, absolutely. So IoT stands for Internet of Things. It's essentially a way of describing devices that we interact with in the real world and their connectedness to the Internet and to one another. So traditionally, we all know about IT, but what we're seeing more so, more often is the world of OT or operational technology, as well as smart devices. Well, obviously, as you can imagine, we've gotten pretty good at IT security. I mean, it may not seem like it all the time, but we've gotten pretty good at it, right? I think misconfiguration is in the OWASP top 10, right? So it's like, we're doing it well when we're doing it well, <laughs> you know, but for the most part, we have the technology and the mechanisms to protect our traditional IT. Well, when it comes to OT, and Internet of Things, this has been significantly overlooked. And we have unfortunately encountered variants like Petya and not Petya, which, you know, wreaked havoc for hospitals. We encountered Stuxnet, which wreaked havoc for a nuclear facility. And so what we're seeing is a push to get security professionals more interested in protecting these IoT devices and these OT devices and building that security infrastructure around them. And that's what my firm does as consultants. So we work with clients throughout the security industry to essentially build these same best practices and frameworks around these devices because they're just not there for a lot of these devices, right? One of the devices that we're testing is a cloud-enabled medical device. 
right? There's no NIST special publication 800-53 for this device. There's no best practices yet. And so somebody has to build the best practices for what these mitigations are, what the detections are for these things. Somebody has to go in and look at what the attack vectors are, do some threat modeling, all of this. And this is kind of where we were talking earlier. I said, well, by the time I talked it out, I was like, well, it is kind of purple teaming. That team is made up of researchers from different types of disciplines, right? So you got AppSec people. We got hardware hackers in there. And they are some of the most interesting people you've ever met. You know, we got red teamers. We got blue teamers. And oftentimes our work consists of sitting down in a room. We go in there and we threat model, right? So we're looking at what we call our path to pwn is what we like to call it. It's the path to pwn meetings. And red teamer goes, well, what about that? And I'm like, well, yeah. what do you mean? What about that? He's like, yeah, that's where I would go. Yeah. And yep. we're like, say more words. And they get up and they're drawing their path to pwn out. And so what this enables us to do is it enables us to create a safer medical device, right? Yeah. A safer medical device that hopefully utilizing and leveraging the power of the internet opens up medical treatment to people who may or may not have been afforded that same type of medical treatment before. So I really, really like what we're doing. We'll also be moving into the automotive space here pretty soon, which I'm really excited about because, man, I can't lie. The first time I get to hack a self-driving car, I am <laughs> going to lose it. I yeah. probably won't be able to share much about it, but I'm going to be so excited. You'll know. You'll know by my tweets. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, but definitely. And I think that was a perfect reason why I wanted to touch on that, because that collaboration is important because you have to have pretty much that diversity of thought from different teams and different aspects of security all in one Absolutely. room to have those conversations. That's typically what we do with our threat modeling when we work with developers. I literally walk to the developer and go, OK, so how would you like your path to pwn? I would ask the developer, yeah. okay, so how would you hack your own application? And sometimes they're like, wait, what? But for me, asking that question, it shows, or if it, not that it for, I don't want to say that it forces, but it forces that collaborative mind, right? Yeah. Because now I'm yeah. saying, this is how I would do it. How would you do it? And, you know, the first thing, you would think of as a developer is like, I'm not going to tell you the secret to my that. No, that's my baby. I'm not going to tell you that. Right. But this is supposed to be a safe space. It makes it we, better. Yeah. Right. So now you're looking at it. And, and now once you get them to buy in, that leads to a much more secure application because now you have the developer. Not only are they talking about how they would do it, but now as they're saying it, it's almost like a light bulb is hitting for them going, I should probably work on that. You Listen, know? I'm going to drop some even more of like an emphasis on that. Conti ransomware gang hires detection engineers and they bought EDR licenses. Wait, if you don't think purple teaming has to happen, yes. for the like they were buying EDR licenses through shell companies. They were hiring detection engineers who were mm. experts at these things saying, hey, do your best to keep us out. Yeah. And they, their documentation was really well done. It was really well done. I mean, it was, they, I mean, hey, listen. But I yeah. mean, I'm not saying I copied some of it, but no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but that speaks to the need for collaboration, right? Because it's like, there's a really good book. I can't remember who wrote it. And I feel terrible because I'm going to quote the book without the author, but I want to give him full credit for it. But there's a book called Adversarial Tradecraft. And it's all about, Oh, you! I, I should have known you had it, man. That's Dan the one. Morgan. That one right there. Dan I Morgan. think everybody 
should read that book, no matter what side you're on. One, he comes from the perspective of both sides. And I love the way he breaks the chapters down of just like, okay, here's the red, here's the blue. But I love the way that it it like complements how we can work as a team. I hate doing this in our industry because unfortunately we do it way too much, but like the bad guys are already doing it. Yeah. They're already doing it. I mean, we saw one of the most prolific ransomware gangs in the last two years hiring detection engineers, using EDR to test their stuff. Yeah. It's almost like they're in the upside down, right? Like we get red teamers to test our controls and they're like, we want blue teamers to build controls to test our exploits. Like we have to work together. And like I said, ultimately it provides a safer thing, but I don't know about you and you can maybe comment on this. Now that the walls are kind of breaking down, I'm having more fun. I'm having more fun and learning way more talking to you all like your stuff on APIs, man. Like it made me better. I learned more about, okay, how these APIs can be manipulated. I'm like, oh, okay. We use a lot of SaaS applications. We use a lot of cloud features. I should probably listen to this and uh, I learn a lot more, right? Yeah. I think the purpose for that, which is going to lead right into it, is we have to share that information. Like I said, I don't want to be like, back in my day, but... <laughs> it's hard not to, man. We, yeah, we're we're I, the old heads now. <laughs> I came up in a time where that information wasn't readily available. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a try hack me. I remember when Hack the Box launched and you literally had to get the flag to get your membership key. I was there for that, right? You had some people, like shout out to Vivek, who did Security Tube, which mm-hmm. is also Pentester Academy or an INE now. You had a couple videos of people posting stuff from DEF CON, but there were no real resources outside yep. of having to pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to get these trainings at these boot camps. And even to your point with the APIs, first of all, thank you for that. But yeah, man, it was great. It was some whole, great stuff. The whole reason that started was because I landed a job and the CISO didn't even know what the hell he wanted me to do. So I came on board as a web app pen tester mm-hmm. and got there day one and said, well, where's the web app? And they said, well, actually, here is the image that you have to put into Genie Motion. I'm like, Genie Motion? That's a phone emulator. Why would I need to put a web app into a phone? And I'm like, oh, well, it's a mobile app and you're actually testing the APIs. Mm. I go to research API security and I can find maybe I saw Philip Derrick. He did a talk. There was really like, no, this, like four people. <laughs> there was like a lot of like the information was hard to come by. And then or the stuff that I saw was for like for soap, for soap APIs. It wasn't for rest. So I literally looked around everywhere and either later on that year or the following year. Because mm-hmm. now everything everything is just starting to, to blend into just one long day for me. But uh, <laughs> but I think the following right. year, the OWASP API top 10 came out. Yeah. And even then, it was still like, okay, so here's a top 10. But they didn't really go into the technical side of things. So I, I literally put all of these things together. I was talking to Steven Sims from SANS. And I said, you know, I literally have like hundreds of pages of notes. I'm probably going to do a talk. And he was like, book it. There you go. But like I said, that's where that idea came from. And then shortly after that, you had people like Insider PhD, trying to remember her name, but you had people like her. It's so uh, hard. I don't remember people's names. I just remember Twitter handles. Right. And then eventually Corey Ball 
put out the Hacking APIs book. He's actually coming out with a, a training course for it. So nice. Shout out to him. But that leads into my next point, having that information and sharing that information, because we have to be able to train the future professionals. We have Mm -hmm. to be able to train them to not only learn what we've learned along the way, but also teach them to not make the same mistakes that we did. And I see that you also do a lot of things with training, right? So if you want to speak to some of the stuff that you're doing, training the future professionals and teaching them to do things differently from the things that you learned back in the day that might have been problematic. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess most of what I teach is threat hunting and detection engineering, the threat hunting, detection engineering and incident response, sort of all of your skill set that you would find in a SOC. And I teach them a lot of the fundamentals, right? The thing that we all realize is is like a lot of the fundamentals don't change, right? Networks gone networks, computers gone compute. It's just how it works. But I do teach them a lot of differences in the way that we work. And one is just that collaboration built in, right? Go hack stuff as much as you try to defend stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Don't just build a detection lab, build a hack and detect lab. There are a lot more blue team roles out there, entry-level blue team roles out there than there are red team roles. So I have a lot of people who are future red teamers who want to come in and it's just like, oh yeah, you got your your nice Cali VM and you're ready to go rip something to shreds. Yeah, but do you understand how an ACL works? Or just teach it and and don't ask me and don't go silo. Build your network. Talk to people across. It's going to make you a better pen tester. That's what I tell them. The more blue team friends you have, it's going to make you a better pen tester. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to one of my friends during a pen test and he's walking me through his game plan. I'm like, don't do that. They're going to see that. That is noisy. Yeah. No, 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 you're right. You know, that is noisy. And I remember explaining to one of my red team friends, whoever that company was, I'm I'm sorry to them, but I remember explaining to him like how PAM systems work and how to get around them. Right. Or what some of the drawbacks to PAM systems were. Right. And for anybody who's listening, doesn't know this privilege access management. And so he was able to get Privisk because I gave him that little tip. Right. right. So get you some blue team friends, get you some red team friends. That's one of the things I teach. One of the other things I teach is systems thinking, system thinking, mental model, and the importance of some of those supplementary things that I think take us from good to great that mm-hmm. we don't talk about enough. People, you know, a lot of times, you guys, especially those of you who hear me on Twitter, I use a lot of really nerdy terms around like statistics and science and, and psychology and things like that, because I think it's what makes us a little bit more effective. Yeah. One of the things I teach in my SOC specifically Everybody gets a copy of statistical analysis for dummies. And it is because one of the first things we try to teach from day one is you need to be able to quickly identify prevalence, variance, and do differential analysis. It's going to help you, right? And if anybody who's listening, who's in a sock, I challenge you to go to my last tweet and figure out what I'm talking about and go Google it. Figure out what prevalence is. Figure out what variance is. And those things are so helpful, right? And you know who's really good at those types of things? Who's really good at manipulating data and figuring out the best route to stuff? Red teamers yeah. are amazing at it. Red teamers are amazing at finding the path to least resistance, mm-hmm. right? And they're amazing at picking out that logic of shout out to Tanisha over at Black Girls Hack, one of my favorite red team friends, one of my favorite people, being friends with her has made me better at my job. And so I teach them to don't just get in these defender chats. Don't just get on 
trihack me and go into the blue team forums and things like that. We got to talk. And then learning these red team skills, right? Like your lab, even if it's purely a detection lab, purely a defense lab, you should have atomic red team in your lab, right? And you should practice writing malicious PowerShell. Hey, why don't you go ahead and try to embed a malicious PDF or a malicious Word document and see how it looks and see how it works. For detection engineers, it makes us better at testing our controls because now what I've learned to do since I've been talking to you and and Daryl and Tanisha and all these people, I learned how to build my own embedded office and the office documents, right? Because I had already built detections for the stuff that was in Caldera. I had already built detections for the stuff that was in Atomic Red Team. I had already built detections for that stuff. Let me start building my own stuff and trying to break it. And then get my red team friends to look at it and say, hey, can you make this better? If you can make it better, you can have it, right? You can have it and you can use it on your next fishing engagement. So stuff like that makes us so much better as a community. Iron sharpening iron, right? I mean, just in hosting this show, I've been able to learn so much, right? Because even with last season, for those who are watching or listening, not just because this is my show, but I'm highly recommending going to check that out because that's what all season one was about. Season one was dealing with the misconceptions of the red versus blue. So mm-hmm. asking questions like, why don't you patch your stuff? And then come to find out, it's not that they didn't patch your stuff. It's that sometimes they can't, especially when you're dealing with things with ICS systems. Or, or no. You got you know, money, you got time. You got money, um, time, right? And so again, dealing with those priorities, but having those communications between red versus blue or red and blue, again, that collaborative spirit, you have no choice but to improve from it mm-hmm. because all of us have that itch in the back of our brain, and depending on whatever side you're on, if you're on offense or defense. So we're, like, we're all hackers and we all have that itch in our we're brain. hackers here, man. <laughs> <laughs> we all have that itch in the back of our brain that goes, what if I did this or this or this, right? Like I've been to Disney World. And try to reverse engineer like the wristbands they give you on the fly. Cause I'm like, well, how does that communicate with that? There's gotta be an API doing this or that, right? There's gotta be some. Right. So we all have it. But now, if you get into a room full of people of like minded individuals on both sides of the spectrum of the red and the blue, the offense and the defense, even heck, throw in some GRC folks in there too, because now they can tell you from a compliance standpoint. Mm And have that collaboration. You know what you got when you do that? You got your own consulting firm. That's what you got. And that's how we build. There you go. And then going back to the training thing, like I said, now you are teaching them. I don't want to say the right way, but you're teaching them better. Because when we got started, we probably were taught one way. We were taught this is the way what we do as an offensive team. We do this. Mm -hmm. We pwn all the things. We write our report. Yeah. And we write and off on the defensive side, it was pen tester for compliance. Yeah. Period. Pen so tester that, for compliance. The what? pen testers are going to come in. We do our thing. Maybe they're going to find a few holes. Unfortunately, not the company where I'm at now. Just want to put that out there. But unfortunately, a lot of companies, the ops teams don't even see the pen test. Yeah. The ops teams don't see the report. You know why? Because they just needed to run it for compliance. How- And I've been in some places where no one sees the report. They only get the executive letter, the executive summary. Because that's all they need. All they need is like, let's go ahead and slide this in. All right, we're going to get on the soapbox. I'm going to get in the soapbox. (laughs) I'm going to get on the soapbox, man. Let's let's not go there. But yeah, Yeah. right. I mean, that's how we were brought up thinking, where it's like, we didn't care about the pen test. They're going to do an annual pen test every year. We might get an inside tip that it's coming. We might not. Right. Mm. But we're just going to stay on our P's and Q's. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're never, like you said, 
The executive summary is going to come out. They're going to tell us when the pen test concluded. They're going to tell us how we did. We never going to get any real value out of it. But like you said, having that pen tester on your team to say, hey, I noticed that we were able to do this and I did some digging on your EDR. This is a real world example. One of our mm-hmm. AppSec people was like, hey, I noticed that there's a setting on your EDR that blocks this completely, right? Mm-hmm. The only reason we even knew that setting was there was because they were able to get around it. Mm. But yeah. Back to the OWAS top 10. I think misconfiguration is number five right now, right? She just kept us. Yeah. yeah, it's up there somewhere. But like, these are the things that happen when you do that. Collaboration, super important. And I think we stand a lot to learn. And like I said, as we bring this next generation up, there's no reason they should come up with our bad habits. Yeah. There's no reason they should come up with that combative attitude. They should want to be on CTF teams. And we got a red team on our boss of the SOC team for comp every year. We ain't won yet, but I tell you what, it really, really helps us. Because <laughs> when it's time to go look for strings for Metasploit beacons and Cobalt Strike beacons and what's this new one? Brute Retail. I learned about Brute Retail from one of my red team homies. Yeah. I didn't even know. I'm thinking like, oh, there's still just two C2 frameworks. That's it. Just those <laughs> well, no, two. I mean, there, there's a couple of them out there. I mean, they're they're making a bunch of open source ones that I probably should be testing out at some point. So I don't want to say no. See what I'm talking about? I'm just up to three right now. I'm just up to three. So it's like, I don't want to say no names because I want the name to be an endorsement, but we're going to check them out and then see how that goes. I got you. Oh, I'm sorry. I dropped a few names. No, no, you're good. Oh, no, 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 no. You're good. You're good. You're good. I'm just talking about. (laughs) So now we're going to switch off of that because, again, we touched on everything we wanted to touch on as far as making sure we teach the future people that kind of have that mentality of having that collaboration mindset because it's definitely needed, especially if the adversarial people are doing it. If the malicious attackers are collaborating and having these, they clicking you know, up, like man. seriously, like the landscape has changed. And, and if we don't change with it, we're going to suffer the consequences. They're consulting for each other, bro. Like, you know, you got the access broker who's just getting you in. Then you got the ransomware gang who's actually deploying the ransomware. Then you got the negotiator. Yeah. Like it's, no. it's the ecosystem. Yeah, seriously. So we, like I said, we need to step it up. But outside of the security stuff, what are some of your hobbies? Oh, yeah, man. I'm an avid reader. I read about a book a week. I actually read it. That's Kindle, not Audible for the haters. Uh, So reading, I'm picking up a new hobby. I haven't gotten good at it yet, so I don't talk about it much, but I just started roller skating. So I'm, I'm taking lessons like once a week. It's been fun. That's not how I hurt my hand, everybody. I hurt my hand doing the old hobby, the regular hobby, running. But yeah, that in Xbox, I play with uh, Kenna, Cyber Kenna. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Cyber Kenna. I play with her and uh, HD and Sadie's. We'll get a chance to play some. What y'all playing? What y'all uh, playing over there? Last thing I played, I played Grounded with Kenna a few days ago. Mm-hmm. So it's out of beta now, so anybody can play it. But it's it's like a survival game. Basically, they shrink you down and you're like in a backyard. So like everything's huge. Like a ladybug is like as big as like an elephant. And you got these big old wolf spiders. It's pretty cool. I'm still a Gears of War fan. I'm never going to stop playing Gears of War. Love that yeah. game. Obviously, this weekend, I'm about to jump in on Arkham Knights. That's probably what I'll be doing. New Batman yeah. game. I think HD, he plays a lot of sports games. Sadie, she puts me on really weird games. Like, there's like a Ninja Turtles, like, side scroll. Oh, yeah. The, the, that, the, like, she puts Shredder's me on. Revenge? Dude, I'm crazy about yeah. that game. Oh, man. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, we got to get on oh, it, yeah, bro. Yeah, we got yeah, to send me that invite. Like right now, I've been playing Overwatch too, and I think I'm holding off 
Oh, it's free now, right? Yeah, it's free yeah, it's now, free. right? Yep. So I've been okay. playing Overwatch 2. Obviously, I, I'm debating if I want to get lost in the modern warfare when that comes out. When God of War, Ragnarok comes out, like, no. Oh, so you PlayStation. I, oh, I, I have both. I actually have both. So I was one of the lucky ones. Shout out to my wife. She actually got me the PS5 for Christmas. And then one day I was walking, oh, through, shout out to I was her. walking through Micro Center looking for a Raspberry Pi and just happened to look down on a shelf. And there was an Xbox just sitting there. And I was like, oh, oh man, I'm so jealous of that God of War, <laughs> man. I want to play it so bad. I've been Xbox gang since like 2008. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Um, I'm Xbox too. But I said, and I said, it. I said, the only thing I will get a PS5 for is God of War. That game so, is crazy. Yeah, and, so that that's happening. So we're going to wrap up. So last thing I'm going to ask is what advice do you have for any up and coming security folks who want to move into whether it's blue teaming, red teaming, or purple teaming, since that's a concept for this season. My biggest advice is a man who knows anything knows he knows nothing at all. That could go for a woman as well. That said, like all the little cliches, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. All that to say, learn from everybody. Always ask questions. Always be curious. Just always be curious about something. Always ask how things work because that's the secret to uncovering things. If you can learn anything from my story, it's just that like collaborate, network, talk to people. It's going to make you smarter. It's going to make you better. Even if you're really, really good at something, there is somebody really, really good at whatever that missing piece of your skill set is. So always be curious, always be learning. Never go into a room where you know you're going to be the smartest person in the room and never think you're the smartest person in the room because then you won't ask questions. So be curious, be extremely curious. Be a sponge. All right. Well, again, thank you for joining, sir. Like I said, I appreciate you taking out the time. Absolutely. Everything going on. I said, I know we had some snags in the beginning, but I'm glad to have gotten you on this season. But for those who want to find you on social media or LinkedIn or anything like that, why don't you tell them how to find you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on Twitter at the E is for extra. That's the number four. I'm on LinkedIn at Thomas the Tech. And yeah, look me up, uh, add me. I used to say my DMs are open, but Y'all get crazy in the DM. So, I mean, I'll look at it, but just be respectful. Be respectful when messaging me. Uh, Yeah, but hit me up. I post a lot of threads. I don't have anything to sell just yet. So get this information while I'm giving it out for free because, you know, I might have to jump on that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Uh, But definitely hit me up on Twitter. I'm always down for a conversation, especially about security. No, definitely. Again, thank you for joining. And to everybody watching or listening, thank you for trusting us with some time to talk about collaboration and stuff. This has been another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I have been your host, Davin Jackson. This has been my guest, Eric Thomas, and I will see you next time. So remember to check us out on Discord. We have a Discord server. Check us out over there. Remember to like the video, subscribe to the channel, wherever it is you're getting this podcast, and leave any comments, especially over there on Discord. We'd love to hear from you and get some feedback. And until next time, stay safe out there and take care. Peace. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. And I will see you next time. Peace.